Welcome everybody one more time to Mill City Church. We are so glad that you're worshiping with us today. Let's pray together as we look at the scripture this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are grateful that even though we're not physically in the same space this morning, we know that we're with you and we are together. And so we pray that you just help us to hear your word today, help us to be inspired and challenged by whatever it is that you might want to say to us as individuals and to us as a church today, that give us ears to hear what you're saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I know that for lots of us, these last months and weeks and maybe even days have been really hard. And I don't want to start this sermon on some kind of downer note because there's lots to celebrate and there's a lot of hope that we have, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. But I don't want to skip over the intro without acknowledging that life's been really hard for a lot of reasons for a lot of us. And you can probably think of all sorts of different challenges you're facing, whether they be job challenges, relationship challenges, financial challenges, uh, challenges in connecting with God or other people, uh, and the list goes on, health challenges. Uh, We appreciate all the challenges that you all are going through and know that people from our church are praying for, for all of you all the time. How do we respond is what I want to start with this morning when we're facing really difficult times. How do we respond to these challenges that we're all facing for all sorts of different reasons uh, in 2020? What are the resources that we have available to us, particularly as people who have Christian faith, to respond well to challenges and crises that we're facing? In the book of 1 John, which is what we're going to look at this morning as we continue to read through the New Testament as a church, In the book of 1 John, the community is facing a challenge of people leaving their community, leaving their congregation. Uh, And back then, these communities are very small, and they're kind of just trying to make it. And so when people leave, it's hard enough. But in this case, people were leaving and criticizing the people who stayed. You know, not just leaving the church, but giving up the Christian faith altogether and, and even stirring up opposition for the congregation that they left. I don't know if you've ever experienced this in your life, uh, having been part of church a very long time. I know that when people leave, uh, for good reasons and for bad reasons, it's hard. You miss their relationships, you miss their presence. Uh, Sometimes it causes you to question what you're doing and how you're doing it and and have to wrestle through some really difficult things. What is the best response to these kinds of challenges or other challenges that we're all facing in the moment? First John is a really good book for helping us to remember the resources that God makes available to us in terms of responding to challenges. And put real simply, I think the main thesis of 1 John is to tell us to remember and kind of think on, dwell on God's love for us, to remember that as our core identity, and also to actively go out and try to love other people in the name of Jesus as a response to crisis. You know, not just because it's a good thing to do, but as a way to actually deal with the crisis and the challenge that we're all facing. So we're going to look at those things together this morning. If you have a Bible and you want to open it to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 12 is where I'm going to read. The book has two kind of major parts, and if you have time, you should go watch the Bible Project video on 1 John, BibleProject.com. Put in 1 John, you'll find it. It talks in the first half of the book about God being light, And it talks in the second half of the book about God being love. And I'm going to focus on the second half of it. So in 1 John 
chapter 4, verse 7, it says this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another... God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So let's just unpack that a little bit. Uh, the author here, John, is, is saying to this community, and in other parts of the book, he says, I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before. This isn't new information for you, and it's likely not new, it's not inf new information for most of you as well. But he's trying to remind them, in the midst of struggle and crisis, some of the core uh, essential cores of Christian faith. Number one, God is love. God loves you. And God's love for you is defined by God's action, not your action. God's love is defined, it says in the scripture, by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's, this is how we know what love is. We've seen Jesus live. We've seen Jesus die. We've seen Jesus come back to life. And he's defined love as this particular self-sacrificing thing. Giving oneself up for the sake of the other is the way that God understands love. We have all kinds of weird slogans and tweets about love right now, where love is this very vague idea, very poorly defined most of the time. And nobody says love is defined as carefully as it says in this text. No, this is what love is. Jesus, who didn't have to do anything for anyone, who had no sin himself, gives his life up for the sake of other people, that they might experience healing and forgiveness and reconciliation with each other and God, and live into God's kingdom in ways they could never do on their own. And God did that because God wanted to, because God loved us, not because we earned it or even asked for it. Now, I want to emphasize one particular thing about God's love that I think is really important for our current moment. And that is that God's love is both a means and an end. God's love is both a means and an end. The way that God loves us through self-sacrifice, through giving himself up and, and openly suffering for us on our behalf is the way in which God tries to get us to the end that God desires for us, which is deep, renewed relationship with God, a strong relationship with God that lasts forever, that we get to live into for eternity. There's all kinds of way that, ways that God could have tried to get us to be convinced that God's end for us, that this heavenly existence where we get to be in God's presence and there's no more death and no more tears and no more sickness and no more sin and we live in harmony with people from all kinds of different backgrounds and languages and cultures. That's the end and the vision that Revelation gives us at the end of the Bible. God could have tried to get to that end in a whole bunch of different ways, but God chose to do it in a particular way by giving God's self up for us and inviting us, not forcing us or commanding us to come to receive the grace and mercy that Jesus offers to us through his sacrifice. 
So that's the means idea, that the way in which God helps achieve that for us is loving and self-sacrificial as he points us to a future where our sins are forgiven and all the things that are causing us so much challenge right now are ultimately defeated and taken away from our experience. This passage gives us these two important takeaways, I think, for our current moment that I want to highlight. Jesus' love, the self-sacrificial love of Jesus, speaks to us about our challenges and how we respond in two ways. One is that God's love is our identity. God's love defines who we are uh, apart from anything that we've done, as I just said. There's a stability in God's love that doesn't depend upon us and doesn't depend upon our circumstances. For many of us right now, we're kind of wondering, is anything, is anything constant? What can we have control over? Is there any way we can feel some sense of stability? And I've had good conversations with, with many of you about, you know, where, where can I get some kind of feel like maybe this is going to be the same for a minute or two days? You know, there's just so much change happening so fast. My friend Eric Mortensen, who's going through some personal health challenges himself, said to me recently as he was studying and thinking about First John, he said, it's amazing to me that, um, that my understanding of my relationship with God doesn't determine my relationship with God. That even if I'm not feeling connected to God, even if I um, feel like maybe I've been distant from God, God has already decided that God loves me. And that's stable. And that's concrete. And it doesn't change. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever challenges you're facing, one of the ways in which you can respond as a Christian person is to remind yourself and to remind each other that no matter what happens to us, no matter what circumstances we face, God's love is constant. That should help us take a deep breath. Maybe you want to take a deep breath right now. God's love is constant, and it's not going to change. God has already decided and done for us everything that needs to be done for us to be in eternal relationship with Jesus. In the midst of challenges and crises, we have to start by remembering who we are, loved children of God because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say a couple of things kind of just directly to you and ask you to receive them, all right? As a Christian person, because of Jesus' love, you are forgiven. Because of Jesus' love, you are promised eternal life with God. Because of Jesus' love, God determines who you are and what you're worth. Because of Jesus' love, God is with you no matter what is happening around you. Because of Jesus' love, you are invited and challenged to live the life that God is calling you to live based on the gifts that God has given to you. Those things are solid. They're stable. You can depend upon them. God's love doesn't change. So we have to remember our identity as loved children of God. Then we have to remember that God calls us to do something in response to this love that God gives to us. It isn't just for us. It's for the world, right? So Jesus said to his disciples 
in John chapter 13, different book, different John book, right? John chapter 13, verse 35. He says, the world is going to know that you're, that you're my disciples if you love one another. The world is going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Loving people is the defining characteristic of followers of Jesus. Now, let's just do a little self-critique for a second as a Christian community. Is that how we think the world knows the reputations of Christians at the moment? Is that our reputation? If we asked people, what is the defining characteristic of Christians? Would most of them say, love for each other and for the people outside their community? Is that our reputation in the 21st century as Christians in the United States of America, in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, in St. Paul? 1 John chapter 3 says that if anybody has material possessions and sees a brother or a sister in need, but doesn't have any pity on them and doesn't do anything about it, then how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, it says, let us not love just with our words and with our speech, but with actions and in truth. God's love is for us and it's solid, but God calls us to respond to that love by loving other people tangibly, concretely, in the ways that God invites us to. I want to I introduce this short video, it's just a minute and a half to you, uh, by a guy that I've just recently discovered named Dr. Greg Thompson. He's a, a PhD, a Martin Luther King Jr. scholar, who's researched how Christian love was at the center of Martin Luther King's public engagements and teaching. And he made this short video that I think is challenging. You might not agree with everything he says, but I think it's challenging uh, as we think about how we politically engage as Christians, especially in the midst of this election season. So I want you just to watch this minute and a half video uh, as we think about how God is calling us to act in love towards other people. Here it is. When you talk about things like the culture wars or when you talk about strategies for Christianizing America or, or, or any of this kind of stuff, you have to understand that the heart of that is the lie of control. And that is, we have to renounce that because what we're doing is we're not talking about how to control America. We're talking about how to use agency that God has given us and given our neighbors to create a more just, just society for everybody. And that is what Christian political engagement is about. It is about not about control. It is about the use of power for the good of others. And that's why when you see these political figures making these sweeping statements, it's inevitable that they take on a messianic character because there's only one who has control. Right? Uh, but he's, he's the one who gives himself for us. I mean, that, that is, that's really what Philippians chapter 2 is about. It's about this one who emptied himself, ultimately became heir of all things, triumphed over all things, and yet is the one who lifts up the poor the one who is seeking to make all things new to dry tears uh, and, and raise the dead. That, that's the work. Um, and so we want to know what actual power used for love looks like. It's embodied in Jesus. And that is actually why I think the Christian church has such an important political role to play. Not so we can assert our values, right? But so that we can uh, follow our Savior and model our lives on our Savior as one who gives ourselves, ourselves in suffering for the well-being of our neighbors, even people that hurt us. That's fundamental to the Christian political vocation. 
The line that really struck me in what Dr. Thompson said there was that power used for love is embodied in Jesus. Power used for love is embodied in Jesus. Jesus used his power to show God's love to everyone. Those who hated him, those who were followers of his, and, and everyone in between. In a, in a different talk that Dr. Thompson did, he shared this story about Martin Luther King that I found really applicable to this conversation. Uh, it, it happened in 1956, I think. Dr. King's about 26 years old. He had recently moved to Montgomery, Alabama, and it's the middle of the school bus, or the bus boycott, excuse me, that he's helping to lead. And while he's preaching at a local congregation, he gets word that his home was bombed while he was there. So he steps up to the pulpit in the church, uh, and he asks for quiet, and he says to the congregation, he explains to them what's happening. My, my house has been attacked. I don't know how my wife is. I don't know how my young daughter is. I need to leave, but I want to encourage you to leave in peace from this church. And he slipped out the side door. And the people in the congregation stayed, and they lamented, and they cried, and they prayed for him and his family. He goes out the side door, and he returns home, and his house has been attacked and burned. And he goes into the home, uh, and he finds his wife and his young daughter in the back end of the house, uh, unharmed, thankfully. And he and a few others gather around them and care for them and pray for them and check on them and, and listen to them. And then after a little bit, uh, one of the policemen who um, the police had been out in front of his house and it was a little unclear what, what role they were playing in the whole incident, but the police, the head of the police force came in and asked Dr. King to come and kind of try to calm the group down because some of his, his supporters had arrived at his house and um, you know they were considering what action they might take. And, and this, is, this is an incredible moment because after just learning that his house was attacked and maybe his wife and his, his daughter were injured, he walks out in front of his house and speaks to these people who are there to support him and, and he says, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to love your enemies, help them to know how much you are concerned about them, how much you love them. Even in the moment where his own family is being threatened, he takes God's love and the way that Jesus has defined love so seriously that he turns in that vulnerable moment and says, let's not retaliate any other way. Let's not respond with violence. Instead, follow the way of Jesus and love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you is what Jesus taught us. The love that Jesus defined for us is a love for our enemies, a call to pray for people who are against us. The, the way in which we engage in times of crisis and in times of challenge and with those who we disagree with is a direct reflection on how we understand our identity as people who are loved unconditionally by God. In other words, we can't receive God's unconditional love for us in Christ and then treat other people terribly with hatred and division. It doesn't, they don't go together. Can you see that? Engaging politically is not just about trying to get a particular end result using the power that we have. It's about showing people what it means to be a follower of Jesus 
by the way you love other people in the midst of the crisis, the way that Dr. King loved people in the midst of his own crisis. God's love tells us who we are and tells us how we are to love other people, even in the midst of our own challenges. And, and maybe even if you're feeling in this moment, like, I don't know that I have the resources or the strength to, to love others, even a small act of kindness, especially in the coming weeks, can go way beyond a text message, someone, I'm thinking of you, I love you, I'm praying for you, uh, even people who you disagree with, to show kindness to them in the next couple weeks could be really life-changing for, for a lot of us, and yourself included. Jesus says, they will know that you are my followers by the way that you love each other. There's a song that says, they will know we are Christians by our love. Love is something we are because God loved us first. It's our identity. It's secure. It's solid. It's concrete. It doesn't change. Love is the opposite of hate. Love is doing what is right as defined by Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love's not envious. It's not jealous. It's not self-seeking. It's not rude. Love is an action. It's something that we do each and every day. Love is giving out of what we have to help those in need. Love is how God wants to be known in the world. Followers of Jesus are supposed to be known for their love for each other and for others around them. Love is calling us to pray for our enemies. Love might be calling us to pray for those we perceive to be our political enemies this week. Let us be defined by God's love for us and for our love for those around us. Let us, by the power of God's Spirit, go out and love our communities in the name of Jesus this week. Let me pray. Jesus, we need your help. We need to remember in the midst of the challenges we're facing how amazing the love is that you have for us. It's so easy for us to forget that. So remind us in these moments as we take a few deep breaths in this time we have together, help somehow supernaturally, God, communicate to our hearts the value and worth that you place on us. A value and worth so immense that you are willing to give your life for our sake, for our healing, for our forgiveness. And God, don't allow us to just receive that love, but then to also see these opportunities that we have this week. Help us not to get caught in participating in things that make divisions worse or cause more disunity. Help us to love people, not just with words, but with actions. Help us to build your reputation this week. That Christians aren't just people who vote a particular way. They're people who love in ways that other people want to emulate. So that Jesus would be known in this country because of the way that we love each other and we love those that you put us in relationship with. Let us be known first and foremost for our love. We need your help. Lord, have mercy. In Jesus' name we pray.